my whole kind of thing was about like making content and telling stories that I wanted to hear from blackfellas. I was never being able to experience stories or content that actually spoke to me or I would have to try really hard to find them. Um, and it was like the stories that spoke to me were like, I want to be a black fella and also laugh about the things I want to laugh about. Welcome back to The Cypher, a series of conversations with creators from Africa and its diaspora who are leaning into their roots to create new spaces for all of us. I'm Christabel Nsiabwadi, your host. On today's show, I speak with Travis DeVries. He is the founder of the Australian podcast company Awesome Black. The company develops original First Nations talent and creates unique storytelling content across a variety of mediums. Stay tuned. Hi, and thank you very much for joining me on yet another edition of this podcast, which we have renamed The Cypher. We're going to continue speaking to creatives who are shaping new narratives about Africa and its diaspora in a variety of ways. Now, on to the show. So by this stage, I feel like we're all probably pretty familiar with that moment that Issa Rae, the creator of the HBO Insecure, said, I'm rooting for everyone black, right? I kind of feel like that phrase applies to today's show. I mean, it applies to all of our shows, but specifically to this show, because I'm speaking with somebody who isn't from the African diaspora, but comes from a community that claims and owns that word black that has so much meaning for a lot of us. And I say that because when I was in Australia a few weeks ago, prior to this taping, I heard a phrase. I'm going to let today's guest, Travis DeVries, say it. Here it is. Black fella. Uh-huh. He is a creator from Australia and he is the founder of Awesome Black. It's a company that develops original First Nations talent and content. So as I mentioned, I met him during a recent work visit to Australia, specifically to the city of Sydney. And that's the home of the Opera House, Gorgeous Beaches. And for anyone who grew up watching Australian soap operas and you all know who you are, it is also the home of the show Home and Away, which, by the way, is still running. I still can't believe that. Now, we were there because we were both supporting First Nation creators as part of Spotify's Sound Up program. And during my trip, I saw tensions around race. On one hand, there were land acknowledgements of First Nations people everywhere, on TV shows and even at the post office. But at the same time, I noticed an unease around issues of equity. I also learned a lot about the fight for racial equity and justice from the First Nation community, but noticed how their strategies and tools were inspired by the African-American experience. And so that got me thinking about the connection between these two cultures, which also got me wondering about the roots of that word that I mentioned at the top. I asked Travis to join the show and let me ask him some more questions about that. And I've got to say, the conversation took us to some pretty powerful places. And yes, I started by asking Travis about that word. Take a listen. 
black fella. What's the term? Black fella, it's, well, it's a bit of a colloquial term over here in the so-called Australia, as we usually refer to it. Black fella is, it's, it's an interesting one to explain in an international context. You know what? I'm, all I'm going to say to you is trust us with this. Try it. Tell us. We identify as black. Obviously, I am light-skinned. And blackfella is a slang term that First Nations so-called Australia people use as a self-identifier. And sometimes the blackfella black is spelt without a C and sometimes it's spelt as per regular. Um, With the C, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the like, the etymology of that actually got um, kind of traced in, uh, a couple of years back and the first kind of using it without the C was an artist, Destiny Deacon, who wanted to have BLAK as a like identifier for Aboriginal people living in the city as part of a art exhibition that she did about blackfellas. Mm. So it's, it's kind of a big, interesting thing because we also have African diaspora people living over here. And it's, I think people find a lot of, have a lot of passion around the identity of blackness and what that means. You have hit the nail on the head. You have got to the heart of my cognitive dissonance. I would sort of describe it in kind of the same way that like the N-word was reclaimed by the African-American community in a way, is that in sort of like historical texts from white colonialists, there is a lot of use of the term blacks and the blacks Mm -hmm. talking about First Nations tribal people in Australia um, and the kind of plan to wipe them out. And, you know, like, when when you're a group of people living on a continent that doesn't necessarily have outside uh, connections to any white people, you don't self-identify as black. You just identify as people. As soon as white people come in and start identifying you as black, that's when you start to gain ownership of that identifier. And I think, like, post-colonization, life in the colony here claiming black fella and black as an as, as a self-identifier for a first nation sovereign people has been like an a, a really important part of like self-determination and reclaiming of confidence identity and power within that space mm. when we met i said i can't say that word i can't say that word can i and you were like no, well, it's it, it's a shared, it is a global experience. It's just a different term for like different people who, for some time, sometimes it doesn't sit right with me in a way because it is, even though we now have sort of taken the word and ownership over it, the thing with it is, is like, it's still defining from a white gaze yes. originally. So the root of the definition like comes from, English term for us whereas like you know uh, so-called Australia has like 400 different uh, nations and cultural groups that are distinct from each other where we each have like like 
you're from Ghana originally. Um, I'm Gamilaroi and Darug. Mm-hmm. And like there are 400 different tribal nations within Australia. I often like used to describe it as like you look at Europe and how many different countries are in there or you look at Africa. Australia is no different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only because of the colonization process that we are defined as like one people. Right. Uh, versus 400 different nations. Oh, yep, exactly. Same thing. I mean, tell the audience again um, where you're from. Uh, I am a Gamilaroi Darug fella. You said My, fella. I love yeah, it. Yeah. It's very Aussie. It is very Aussie. Um, <laughs> I describe myself as Gamilaroi Darug. Um, I also have Dutch and Scottish heritage. Um, my granddad was a, a Dutch immigrant post world war Mm -hmm. Uh, ii he was he was a lovely guy so i don't necessarily not identify with him well no but here here is a thing and i understand that as an international global black kid i was born in scotland my mum is from takradi which is in ghana both my parents are from ghana and my father was from the ashanti region so all of what you're saying makes sense to me because again way back in the day when the europeans came to africa they said here's a tree here's a river Here's another tree. Here's another river. We'll take this and you'll take that. And we're going to call it the Gold Coast or whatever it is. But when you're in there, our cultures are extremely distinct. So I'm listening to you going, yes, this is what I'm talking about. You're not all Australians, but we know so little about your experience. I'm, you know, I'm grateful and thankful to be listening to you break it down in that way. Yeah, it's really, um, it's kind of interesting as well because there has been, some contention around us using black and black fella on the internet um particularly recently on tiktok with african-american people kind of going well you're not black we're black like it's there is a like strong sense of ownership from different people internationally Mm -hmm. um with that word and it feels like for me that like we oh it's like I'm I'm 34 now and I see young First Nations people like talking about that contention uh, happening and it's like, oh, I had that conversation with like some African-American friends 10 years ago mm-hmm. um, and like it's like it's it's a continual conversation that we have to have because like we have been globally, black people have been kind of defined for so long from a deficit Mm -hmm. that like we have taken sort of ownership and like found strength in these in these spaces Mm. and like that's become like a really important part of our our identity and so like when someone else is kind of encroaching on that Mm -hmm. it feels like you need to like fight back against it right because you spent so much time defining that and owning it and having power over it so tell me what what is the contention around that is it cultural is it is it that we need to build bridges and we're not doing that what is it i think it's a like an americanism thing almost as well because there there is a from my perspective like outside of that there is a sort of insular americanism view of the world where that like everything sort of revolves around this like American imperialism and Hollywood uh, pop culture sort of thing where it's like, well, the whole world does look to us 
in America. And so we define the terminology for the world Mm. and we don't like realize we don't take the time necessarily to learn. And like, I'm very much generalizing because I have had like many amazing conversations and people have been very open to hearing this experience um, much like yourself now. But yeah, it's a, it's very weird thing. But I think it's important to break it down because as you were saying that my thought was, I'm going to push back a little bit on that because again, my perspective is that being someone of African descent who was born in the UK, lived in Barbados for a little bit and then went to the US. I was Mm. like, Oh wait, this is what, black is right it's broad and then coming to australia i was i asked myself to look at that differently you know but at the same time like stepping into a bar called hustle and flow shout out to you guys and yes i feel like it is in reference to that to the hollywood movie and then seeing biggie on the on the wall i was just like well there's a connection here there's a connection here that if where the tension might exist that's where the conversation lies and so i think it's really important that we have that you know, because where do we build that bridge? Absolutely. And I don't want to like, I don't want to pretend that I am not influenced from by black American culture as well. Mm-hmm. Cause like that is, that is what I grew up watching. Like that is the pop culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, black American culture, but also black United Kingdom culture. Like I grew up watching those shows. Like I, whilst like a lot of the people that you probably met while you were here from the like, black fella identifying people are like light skin or somewhat light skin Mm -hmm. like you go back a couple of generations and we are particularly like we are similar color of skin tone um and i think like that black as a term has obvious color of skin meaning to a lot of people connotations yeah yeah yeah. colorism is real you know like the darker skinned you are you get treated a particular way for sure absolutely and the like history of that in australia and the reason like we kind of identify as black and black fella even as uh light-skinned or like mixed race or mixed heritage people here is that these the way colonialism worked here was very different there was a organized system of i'm using air quotes here but breeding out the Mm -hmm. aborigine from it's in government policy documents here Mm -hmm. um it's called the the assimilation policy so there's an attempt to define one what full blood uh first nations Mm -hmm. person looked like and then that they could breed them out within four generations Mm -hmm. uh and kind of have this white Australia, which was their dream. Um, (laughs) Blackfella and black over here from a First Nations or Aboriginal individual nationhood tribal perspective is not defined by skin colour. There is colourism conversations happening uh, within our communities all the time, but uh, blackfella is defined by community acceptance and being a part of those communities. One of my Uber drivers was a Nigerian man who was telling me about his restaurant that he wanted me to go to because they did great jollof rice. We won't talk about the jollof wars right now. That's for another time for you and me. I know nothing about it, but I am open to learning. (laughs) Okay, just know that Ghanaian jollof is the best, not Nigerian. But anyway. You are 
founder of Awesome Black, which is a podcast production company. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I originally, when I originally founded it, it was a podcast network. <laughs> so what was on the network? Tell me about that. So on the network was one, two shows. <laughs> <laughs> and he um, loves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, this, this is a very big network. So I, I did a show with my brother at the time called Bro Originals because we're brothers and we're both Aboriginal. Uh, <laughs> oh, my was, God, uh, I just yeah, got it. Yep. Got it. Um, oh, it was a comedy show. My whole kind of thing was about, like, making content and telling stories that I wanted to hear mm-hmm. from Blackfellas because, like, I, I had worked in the arts and the media industry for eight years at the time or I don't, I don't know how long a long time was, ago it, it was, yeah yeah many moons <laughs> uh, but I was like I was never being able to experience stories or content that actually spoke to me or I would have to try really hard to find them um, and it was like the stories that spoke to me were like I want to be a black fella and also laugh about the things I want to laugh about or like fart and poop jokes, which is totally like. Are they your favorite jokes, Travis? No, they're not. But I just use that as an example because it's I think they might be your favorite jokes though, for real. uh, I need to, I need to come up with a better example for that. (laughs) That's okay. Um, But you say, like you say fart and poop and people get it. It's like, oh yeah, you want to, but those, you weren't seeing that sort of content on, through the mainstream commissioning bodies. So like the Australian Broadcasting Corporation and SBS, which is another broadcasting corporation who do like TV and radio and they run the National Indigenous Television Station. I found like a lot of those shows were for for white people, even if they were being made by black fellas, like the editorial at the top was from my perspective, like, uh, having a white gaze on things and making sure that the stories like spoke to a wider Australian audience and spoke to white people first and foremost. And I was like, you know what, this is ridiculous. I formed Awesome Black in 2020, March, uh, which is when Australia went into lockdown two weeks later. <laughs> I'd been nice. I'd been kicking around trying to start Awesome Black for about 18 months, trying to figure out the best way to do it and the best sort of like vehicle or mechanics to make it happen like there's a lot of conversation around organizational governance to be had and mm. I, so I had two shows one was Bro Originals a comedy piece that I did with my brother we created that show one as a way to like be able to hang out and have a like a, a, a show to hang out on but I had been working in the arts and media industry for quite a while and had kind of come up against like a lot of bureaucratization of first nations identity and 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 what i what i mean when i say that is that i wasn't seeing any of the shows or content that i actually wanted to listen to or watch or experience um i was seeing all of these shows Mm -hmm. that were made basically for white people from my perspective like it was like a, a very worthy telling of Aboriginality, or there was the Aboriginal tra- experience, yeah, or trauma porn, live. or Ugh. like all of that kind of thing, and and I and I say like I just wanted to make I just wanted to make jokes and be silly and like 
you know, it's, it is about representation because if you only see black fellas in the media and making content that are about these worthy Aboriginal things, then that's what young people who coming up are going to make again. I was like, you know what, we need to change this. So what the work you do around that is super important because what you're just saying is, look, let's just talk about being. Let's just talk about just doing the stuff and about the stuff that makes us interesting because the stuff that makes us interesting is not our skin color. It's it's not just that. It's not just the heritage. That comes, that's all part of it, but it's more than that. Yeah, you can have one and the other at the same time. You don't have to just be one thing over here. Um we, we can have it all as well. Like mm-hmm. we can, yeah, we can and we do. push through all of the mess and we mm-hmm. can have this kind of ideal thing. We just have to dream it and make it happen. And we've mm. got a couple of extra brick walls that we have to break through. We'll be right back. the rest of my conversation with Travis DeVries. Well, let me scroll back. Why podcasting, first of all? Because you're a creative. So give us a bit more of your background, right? You're an yeah, artist. I'm an artist. Um, <laughs> I've been a dancer for a major what? First Nations dance company. Um, I was with okay. Bangara for three years. I've made major exhibitions I was a producer at the Sydney Opera House for four years, um, mm. which is when I left the Sydney Opera House was when I got into podcasting. Um, well, I was I was working on one of a couple of the Opera House's podcasts before I left as a producer there, and I was working with the absolutely incredible Rhoda Roberts, who was the head of First Nations at the time, and she was one of the first Aboriginal women in radio back in the day. And so, like, I, I I was around for a lot of, like, hearing stories about that and the, like, the push to get, like, representation and blackfellas in radio and, like, from that first generation of that perspective. Mm. And I was like, oh, you know, like, they thought that they had broken through and, like, opened the door for everyone and put their foot in the door and held it open. Mm. And... Like it hadn't actually happened. You know, they'd been kind of sucked up into the white colonial system and like Rhoda does amazing work, but at some point like she's just one person fighting against this whole system. And I saw that and I was like working with her for four years and I was, I guess, dealing with like burnout and depression and anxiety, like trying to work within a white system. Uh, And I realised, you know what, I have to just get out of here and step out of here and it's not about like opening a door and or giving people a seat at the table like we need to build our own table (laughs) because if we don't like we're still asking for white people to pass us a plate like we need to practice blackonomics and like I need to be I need to start an organization where I can employ just black people and work with the black people that I want to work with and then like they can break off and form their own businesses and work with the black people they want to work with and then Mm -hmm. we get this whole ecosystem of collaboration and 
um, black businesses that work together that can support each other and sort of build their own, build our own systems that are like separate. In the time that you started since 2020, what have you seen? What's changed? I think a huge, huge changes since 2020, basically like a flow on effect from the Black Lives Matter movement in the US and over here, which took a little bit of a different turn over here. But all of these non-Indigenous and white orgs have suddenly been like, oh, we need to step up our game because there's a whole lot of uh, people looking at us suddenly. Um, and there's, <laughs> and, and it's not good enough. And we recognize that. So there's a lot of that going on. And, and I found that like, I was uh, sort of banging on doors, trying to get opportunities for myself and awesome black and, and the new people that had come into the org and the new shows that had come on. And uh, I was kind of not getting a look in because we were a young company. We didn't have a whole lot of resources or money what changed was that I actually started just, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to recognize that we are a young company. We don't have that. And I'm going to tell that story. Um, and so instead of trying to pretend that we were all set up like and super professional and we're, we're amazing, which we are, we just don't have the resources that these established organizations and companies have where they've got daddy's money and have been sort of like sitting and making stuff for 20, 30 years. It's like, no, we don't have daddy's money. We need to find someone who will be our daddy. Um, (laughs) uh, So I started knocking on doors and having those conversations. um, And like the first couple of times it like didn't go so well, like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a conducive conversation. Then we knocked on, we got in the room with um, Spotify and that, like, that was a conducive conversation. Um, like, it was, like I say, like, we had to build our own table, but the problem with that is that the the pipeline and the resources to do that aren't there. We have to collaborate and, like, tell that story about wanting to build our own industry and, win people over to do that what kept you going oh I yeah that's a really really interesting question because it's like I had I guess like escape plans I was like if this doesn't work it's fine I'll just you know go and go back to work in an organization that you know is or I'll go and just get a job on a farm or whatever right um you know pay the bills kind of thing um but the thing that like kept me going was that like no one we're all trying to do this like there's so many black fellas that are like at this similar level and trying to kind of create this movement and we're all around like we 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 all talk and we're in group chats um and we like critique each other but we also g each other up um and like that kind of community and needing to go needing the fight kept me going like having roadblocks and and whilst like that was like defeating sometimes like it was having a battle to fight that sort of kept me personally going but with the like with the ally support and the love i've got one last question because i know that we have to go quite soon but what are your hopes for the creative community in general 
I want to create a a system and a like groundswell of mob, which is another colloquial term for blackfellas that we use to refer to ourselves, um, of us supporting each other and being absolutely a core part of the industry where the work we do benefits all of us, not just one of us. And we're not doing it for white clout or white gaze. We're doing it for the stories we want to tell and supporting our growth. Um, I want I want the work we do and the financial benefit from that to come back to our communities and not like, you know, I don't want a white talent agency making money off blackfellas. I want a blackfella talent agency um, supporting blackfellas and growing and building more opportunities. All right. Now I want to just really thank you for your time. I have many more questions, but you're a busy man. And so I appreciate the time and thank you very much for joining me on the cipher. That's it from me this week. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Travis DeVries, who is the founder of Awesome Black, which is based in Australia. To find out more about Awesome Black, visit the website awesomeblack.org. You can also follow Travis on IG and the Twitters. Go to my website, that's the-cipher.com to get all of those details. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast like review rate we want all of those things sharing is caring as well tess goodwin edited deciphered and i'm your host christabel insia Bwadi. thank you very much for joining me and we'll see you next time the cipher is a my lens media production mm-hmm.